Husky football podcast on the entire internet. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us. I am Andrew Berg. I am one of your hosts. The other host, it's harder to push her over the line than past the Dardanelles. It's Gaby Lucas. Hello. For a bizarre um, introduction. Well, I thought it was not. It was fine and not bizarre until you okay. ca- called it bizarre, and then you calling it bizarre made it bizarre. Eh, fair enough. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's not like I invented those words. I was hearing the fight song for, like, ten years before I had any idea uh, what the Dardanelles were, and I finally heard the story. And it was kind of a cool story. If anybody hadn't I heard think, it, it was the commission yeah. of fight song during World War One, and that was a very difficult trench to pass somewhere in France. Uh, it's in Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, you're, yeah. yeah, it wasn't a trench. It's a it's a, a series of uh, of naval of like little, oh, okay. little, not islands, but like a naval passage. Come on, get your geography and World War One history right. Well, those are things I should know. Uh, that's fair. But I, yeah, point being, it was a, uh, written contemporaneously. Uh, while we're on the subject of historical um, moments and things that were that went down as memorable in the course of history, this might be a week we end up remembering uh, due to the Pac-12 unity movement and demands that were issued by about 12 players in the Players' Tribune earlier this week. This seems particularly newsworthy to me. I don't know if everybody will agree with that, but uh, there was a demand letter issued by 12 players, including uh, Javon Holland from Oregon and also two uh, dogs, Joe Tryon and Ty Jones. We'll talk about that impact later. But in the demand letter, it included things like uh, COVID opt-outs for players with guarantees of no punishment, more player involvement in establishing safety standards, particularly virus-related safety standards and processes. There were uh, requests for steps to address racial injustice, things like involving players in decision-making, having them membership on a committee that advises the conference. There were more demands about name, image, and likeness rights, and perhaps the takeaway that everyone will remember more than anything was a 50% revenue share. What are your thoughts, Gaby, just initially on what the players have asked for and what would you like to see come out of the request and the process that will follow it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think there's certain things like, for example, the 50% revenue share that at least as things stand now aren't really realistic as far as just like how that affects, uh, that that opens up so many complicated things as far as non-revenue and women's sports and like, the implications for Title IX and blah, blah, blah. Like, so there's a, there's stuff there that's, you know, maybe, or if not, maybe definitely you're going to have to, well, uh, you know, having these discussions with the Pac-12 and, and ADs and presidents and stuff, like, you're going to have to um, uh, take steps back on. But, I mean, that's kind of work. So um, any of them, yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think that I see the I see the, those quote unquote demands or whatever you want to call them, and I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen, um, or at least it's not going to happen within the time frame of football season. Uh, but 
that's fine because that's that's how these processes work. Um, and I'm not gonna like hold that against against the players. I think the stuff that they talk about about being covered for the virus, um, about having their health and their input guards to their health since they're the ones um, who are putting their bodies on the line who are most likely to be exposed everything um, and and also when it comes to acknowledging that uh, a lot of this system does exploit a majority of black athletes like I think that's them bringing that up and being like hey you guys finally people in power like you have to acknowledge this or we're not going to play like you at least have to reconcile and figure out a way to move forward where we're making taking steps instead of just you know issuing blackout Tuesday and then not doing anything. Um, uh, you know, whatever you think about the politics, the NCAA, or um, you know the scholarship players not paying the players, NIL. You know, regardless of where you stand on those things, being able to at least acknowledge that there's a massive power uh, imbalance between the people who make a lot of money and the athletes who make it for them. I mean, that's like just a fact. Um, and, and then you can, I mean, frankly, I also like, I will fully acknowledge also that the com- complexities of what is a fair return, like that's not a black and white thing either, you know, um, whether that, does come back to Title IX and non-revenue sports and how money gets distributed and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just, it, that's a lot of stuff to talk about. But um, uh, as far as just being like, hey, protect us from, protect our health, or at least include us in talks about protecting our health. Um, and, and, uh, and recognize and start moving forward on um, steps after that about how this system disproportionately uh, affects athletes of color. Like, yeah, that's, this is a conversation that needs to be had. And I'm happy that, that um, there's, there's players that are talking about it, whether or not they all agree 100%. I mean, they, they don't. Um, it's, you know, we've already had people come out, athletes come out like Elijah Molden who had, one, I think one of the one of if not the best statements on the whole thing, which was he's like, yeah, it's complicated, um, in like some of the specifics, like revenue sharing or whatever. But like, we have to be ha- having this conversation full stop. So, yeah, I think that that is the piece of it to me that seems uncontroversial. You can there will mm-hmm. be people who feel that players shouldn't share in revenue at the collegiate level, or that it should be restricted to basic living expenses, or you know, there, are, there are people who will fall anywhere on that spectrum from pay college athletes nothing to they should get a lion's share of the revenue. You know, there are mm-hmm. people who will fall anywhere on that spectrum. Okay. And I think wherever you fall on that spectrum, it should be uncontroversial to say that players should be involved in approving or vetting or monitoring the safety standards that are set for them. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the, You can look empirically at other sports that are in operation right now and the ones that are functioning are the ones with strong trusted central leadership and heavy player involvement like the nba the ones that aren't working very well are the ones that don't have those two (laughs) factors like baseball uh and we know that college football just by virtue of it being decentralized doesn't have strong central leadership 
and that's not a, a criticism of any of the conference presidents or, the, or Mark Emmert or anybody, but there just isn't one person who oversees college football centrally. So they really, really need to get player trust and participation in this process, or there's going to be very little buy-in from the beginning, and it's going to be really, really hard to get through the season because any little flare-up, there'll be finger-pointing and accusations, just like we've seen in baseball so far this year, uh, but without the financial incentive for the players to keep showing up. Um, I would also say that the steps to address racial injustice, I think it's, again, uncontroversial to say that historically there have, have been examples of racial injustice in college football, examples of that all over the country, the situation at Iowa with the strength coach and the uh, historical uh, issues at Texas where they're trying to change some of the iconography at the uh, university around race. That doesn't even necessarily mean that all of the Pac-12 schools are behind the curve. In fact, I think the fact that there are six head coaches out of the 12 teams who uh, are black or Latin are, is amazing. Like the, the Very few conferences have any kind of representation like that. But that's all the more reason to get players involved in advising and making decisions around these issues because they're helping develop them as people and they should be grooming them as leaders and they should have more exposure to the coaches who have been successful in that venue. Uh, name, image, and likeness is happening anyway to say, you know, we want a voice in this and we want it resolved is uncontroversial. So I think you look at it across the board and it, these are things that aren't just like simple asks. They're, it's kind of silly to think that you wouldn't uh, at least involve the players in the conversation. And that kind of rolls up to my bigger point, which is when in history has it been a bad thing to have a group of young people identifying their common interests and trying to speak on, on their own behalf and advocate for themselves? I mean, like the yeah. protest movements, it's not the same thing as Vietnam or whatever, but yes, it does mean that there are, there's a group of people who want to take ownership over their own agency. And that's, Cool. That's, that's a, a massive, massive step in the right direction, and I, I don't. I think, regardless of where you come down on your final verdict of how money should be shared, we can kind of find common ground on the rest of those things being positive steps. Yeah, and I think also it's. I think some people. Um, well, I think maybe most people. Whenever we hear um, other other people have a grievance or um, really just say anything that maybe our our gut doesn't agree with initially or that takes a little bit of thinking. I feel like a lot of people and probably all of us at some point or another are, are instant reflexes to go, oh, that's stupid. Um, and I think the key, regardless of what you initially think, what your reflexes to think, I think the key to kind of any of these discussions, or at least to being on the sideline and watching these discussions happen, if you're a fan, uh, or, and this is, I think this applies to kind of anything, um, is to kind of try consciously to tamper that reflex. Because I, I think that's what you see a lot of people, a lot of, that's just what, what a lot of people do is jealous dumb and it's like well our we don't have a stake in the matter the only stake in this scenario is our entertainment which as sad as i would be for college football not to happen i would rather uh you know how what how many how many football players are there in the pac-12 like what four, what would be 1200 approximately i would rather have 
those real life human beings stay safe than have some entertainment. Um, granted, I still hope football happens, but I want it to happen in a way where those people can be safe at the same time. And um, I think having the initial reaction, if you do, maybe have that uh, of going, oh, that's dumb. Why are they entitled little brats? Um, I think maybe take a moment to kind of consciously just think about why that is your reflex um, when it's there when it's their lives uh, or their bodies, you know, that's, that's on the line, their health. So. Yeah. And I think you look at the, the players who are involved in it have all played a year or two years or three or four years in college already. Like this mm-hmm. isn't, it's, it would be silly to say they're entitled. They're already participating in this. Yeah, they've they already committed. They've already, like this, this, they're not ultimately really doing this for themselves. It's for, the system and the players who would come after them, presumably, yeah. like you said, there's no way this gets resolved permanently before September. So yeah. it's predominantly going to affect people further down the road. Uh, further down the road, incidentally, then Ty Jones and Joe Tryon, uh, two Huskies who signed on uh, to the letter. Uh, Jones is a senior. Tryon is a redshirt junior, but has a very good chance of going pro after this year. Uh Elijah Molden also uh, a, came back for his senior year after testing the draft waters, who you mentioned earlier supported. He said he's 100% behind the sentiment of the letter, which I think is a, a great way to approach it, which is kind of what I was getting at, that we'll have all of these all these things, even if you don't agree with every detail of every proposal or every demand, the idea that the players are organizing themselves and speaking up on their own behalf is a great sentiment. Uh at this point, it, I read that there are over 70 Pac-12 players who have either fully endorsed or expressed support for it. Uh, it's probably worth noting that the outside advisor is named Ramogi Huma. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly or not, but he's a, a former UCLA player who has a nonprofit that works with uh, players on college athletes uh, on financial issues and other things. He also worked with the Northwestern unionization effort. So there is some uh, professional expertise here, and it's not uh, like, you know, <laughs> you, you uh, put out there these entitled, spoiled brats just demanding mm-hmm. things. This is a, a concerted effort. Uh, but I'm curious what you think uh, with Tryon and Jones and then others expressing their support would be the impact on the UW program or or even others in the conference in the short term. Like, how do you see this playing out over the next couple months? Um. Yeah. I uh, I know I've said in the past few months when we talk about the future, um, or at least the short-term future about college football, that I feel like my answer every time is just, I, I don't know. <laughs> because, um, I you know, when it comes to COVID, I don't feel like I'm qualified to maybe make a prediction. And this, I think, uh, I am also – I. I not super qualified to see, especially because it's just there's so many brains that are um, that are involved in this conversation, um, whether it's the players or the administrators or, um, you know, uh, Larry Scott, uh, Boo Hiss. Uh, <laughs> but I so, yeah, so I mean, I, I because I don't know anyone involved personally, I haven't talked to any of them involved personally. And I even if I had, I can't read their the brains of everyone involved and the people in power who are ultimately going to make the decision. Um, so as far as 
what happens, you know, the next six weeks or two months or whatever. Frankly, I, I, my guess is as good as your guess is as good as mine. My guess is as good as anyone else's. Um, one thing I think is worth noting though, as far as UW as a program, um, I know, I forget if it was, if it was, I think it was Joe Tryon, maybe it was Ty Jones. Either way, it was um, one of those players who came out on Twitter also and was like, for the record, UW football, uh, coach, like, coach, all the coaches, all the staff members, like, we, they aren't the problem. Um, and I think that's really important to establish also as, as, you know, as we're talking about this. I mean, obviously there are some coaches that are a problem, like at Colorado State, it just came out tonight, although some players have, or, or uh, some players have refuted this. So, you know, at this point we don't know kind of who to believe, but where there are some staff members and some players who are talking about how they're pretty much being coerced into playing and hiding symptoms. Um, so there's some, and again, I, we don't know what the truth is at Colorado State right now because there's a lot of really different accounts coming out. But, um, uh, so there are some, you know, certainly there are some coaches at some programs that are kind of frankly shitheads about this whole thing and are kind of, I mean, totally, you know, forcing their players to do things that are super unsafe um, and unconscionable. Um, but I think as far as how this affects UW as a program in the short term, if you're talking about UW, taking UW uh, and focusing on them specifically, um, I think the fact that the players um, who are have publicly signed off on this, the fact that they've also publicly supported their coach and said he's one of the good guys, you know, and our, our coaches and our staff members, they're the, they're the good guys too, uh, quote-unquote good guys. Um, I think that bodes well as far as where this is going and having the, um, you know, kind of if you want to think of the coaches as the – as kind of those mediators, not mediators, but kind of middlemen between the people who, you know, would, it would be perceived have very little power and then the institutional powers that be, whether that's the, the conference, um, the, the, institu- the, the universities, um, ADs, et cetera. Um, so I think, I think that makes me optimistic as far as where UW specifically stands in this. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think you were kind of getting to something that I think will ultimately play out to be more or less a tipping point, which is what what got us here is there's been tension around uh, player safety and player compensation, scholarship, otherwise, for a long time. And it has been increasing in amplitude. And in the last three months, essentially, four or five months, there's also been more concern around player safety related to COVID, obviously, and there's been a lot more public focus on racial justice. So obviously, in the last couple months, those two additional factors have been enough to push a large number of players over the line from saying, essentially, there are things I don't like about the system, but I'm going to play in it and participate in it, to the things that I don't like about this system are strong enough that I'm not going to continue to participate in it until we start addressing them. So those two issues are more profound now than they have been in the past. That that seems relatively obvious. Yeah. What that means is, you know, we may end up in a situation where the conference or whoever's negotiating on behalf of the conference says, okay, we'll, we'll essentially, we'll work out the details, but we'll figure out a way to do the COVID opt-outs and have player involvement in safety and have this committee that you've advocated on racial injustice. We'll have players involved in decision-making there. 
and let's keep talking about the NIL and revenue issues in the future, but let's get on the field in the fall. And I think to a lot of us that might seem like a reasonable approach because, like we said, it seems like this is something that will take longer than six weeks to resolve. We're probably not going to get answers to those things. But that will be telling to me in how dedicated this group of players is because they're not going to have the same amplitude on those uh, factors that have become more prominent in the last few months if they decide to go back on the field this fall and continue to play, saying, we'll we'll kick this down the road and we'll address it later, basically because they lose a lot of their leverage. Uh, I think the, the yeah. conference and the university presidents are kind of in a vulnerable spot in terms of public perception right now. They're never going to be in a more vulnerable position financially, but they uh, are, you know, certain, more vulnerable, I should say, relative to the players uh, because they have all the revenues. So it's not like they can lose out on that. But, uh, you know, there's at least an opportunity for the players to turn the screws a little bit in negotiations because uh, there's there's probably more at stake for the the universities in terms of public perception if they get this right or get it wrong right now. And on that subject, speaking of getting it wrong, the one last piece of this I wanted to touch on was uh, the the little dust-up of Nick Rolovich, the new WSU coach, either saying directly or strongly implying in a phone call that the receiver Cassidy Woods would lose his scholarship if he added his name to this list of demands. What was your reading on Rolovich's phone transcript and then the way he backtracked and sort of kind of apologized for people who interpreted it the way that most reasonable people would interpret it? Yeah. Um, I So I've only – I haven't actually – read the whole transcript um, or, or listened to the, the call. Um, but it seemed – one thing that was so weird about that in general, first off, the thing that the thing that left the, a bad – the worst taste in my mouth was this morning, I think it was, when he – or this would be yesterday morning when we're publishing this, when the uh, – when he issued the apology is – the way that he worded it with, I'm, I think he said, I'm sorry if my words could be construed as, um, as they were or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't remember the exact phrasing. I think it was something, it was kind of like that. But either way, him turning his apology into an implied, it's your fault. Yeah, exactly. Really, I, I mean, that's what you see. You see a lot of people apologize, do an apology, non-apology of like, I'm sorry if what I did was taken, you know, and I, I don't, you know, you guys know what I mean. But um, where they kind of turn it around and say, oh, it's it's all in your head. Like, oh, I, I did this, and I'm sorry that you would have thought that me doing this was mean or you know quote unquote mean whatever and that almost felt worse because at first I'm like seeing all this go out and I'm just kind of letting it letting more news come out before I, I rush to a conclusion because I don't want to do that partially because I, I've after Mike Leach was such a douchebag I'm like okay I don't I want to give Rolovich the somewhat of a benefit of a doubt knowing that I'm a fan of a rival team so I'm obviously bias to dislike him and so I wanted to give him some leeway and so I, I didn't go through everything 
right as it was coming out, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of waiting for, for stuff to settle a little bit before uh, going through that. And then, but then that, that apology just felt kind of nasty. Just that, that, th- that phrasing is so insincere and so blaming the person who called you out on it. Um, that, that, I mean, I'm not going to say from now on, I think Nick Rolovich is evil. Uh, and you know, a lot, there's been a lot of stuff since he was hired where I'm like, oh, dang, I kind of like you. You seem kind of cool. Damn it. I hate liking a wazoo coach. How could you do this to me? Um, but that really made him, knocked him a step down in my perception. Just that, yeah, trying to kind of escape all sorts of accountability with, with a phony non-apology like that kind of it. Yeah. How can you be a leader of people when you can't even be a leader for your own accountability? Uh, yeah, this is the actual kind of the, the money quote in the original mm-hmm. transcript is, is in response. They initially talked through um, Woods, Cassidy Woods, the player, saying he's going to opt out due to COVID. And then Rolovich asked him if he was involved in this unity group. And he says, mm-hmm. OK, so that's going to be that's going to be an issue if you align yourself as far as future stuff, because the COVID stuff is one thing. But joining this group is going to put you on. That's obviously you get to keep your scholarship this year. but it's going to be different. You know, if you say I'm opting out because of COVID and health and safety, I'm good, but this group is going to change how things go in the future. So, I mean, I think everybody's going to take their preconceptions into it, but I don't know how you can say, no, don't worry, COVID, you get to keep your scholarship. But even at that point, it's clear that he's positioning something in opposition to you get to keep your scholarship. So even later saying that the, the direct quote from the apology was, Without knowing the concerns of the group, I regret that my words cautioning Cassidy have become construed as opposition. So it's passive voice have become construed with no uh, subject there. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not even our fault. There's no it's accountability as far as, yeah. like, yeah, I fucked up. I, I will <laughs> say, it. say something Be a man, about say it. The, the, the hesitation and the halting language in his in the phone call transcript made me wonder if this was something he didn't want to say the things he was saying, but somebody was pressuring him to warn the the player out because yeah. I, I could be misreading that. I haven't heard enough uh, interviews with him to know if he kind of stumbles over words frequently anyway, but the way that I read it, it, it definitely sounded like he was trying to say something without actually saying it. Maybe just the subject matter, but that was my impression of it, which I thought was also interesting uh, given kind of Wazoo's recent history of coaches and their political leanings. So I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I thought that was kind of an odd detail as well. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I think there's the initial conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't shine him in the greatest light, but I can see why maybe it's just him being nervous about where things are going and kind of not just, you know, wanting to stay away from it. But then by even having that conversation, you're getting involved and blah, blah, blah. Even if that person brought it to you, like it's too late. And also for what it's worth, you're a college football coach. You have to make. You have to be involved with these kinds of tough decisions. Um, but yeah, so I'm. I'm not gonna say that he's. I'm. He, he, I, I think he could make make his image back up in my. If you know, depending on how he acts the next few years or whatever. But, but um, yeah, that apology ticked me off a little bit. Um. Or put a bad taste in my mouth is maybe a better word. I don't know. Fair we'll enough. I, 
let's let's wrap up the topic of the unity movement. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about that, hopefully directly from the players involved to get more of their perspective because it is a fascinating topic, and I think it's going to be something that echoes over the next generation of football players. But we have some other more immediate topics after our ad. We're going to talk a little bit about the suddenly hot topic of tight end recruiting, and we're also going to discuss the new revised Pac-12 schedule, new and improved, back better than ever, We'll run down a few of the key games, so stick around, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. As promised, we're going to start out talking a little bit about our tight end recruiting, which has become somewhat of an interesting topic over the last couple weeks for two reasons. One is high school senior Brock Bowers just had his second or third unofficial visit to Seattle to check out the conference. Third, and the other is Jack Yeri, a 2020 uh USC commit who is now away from USC and heavily implying that he's uh, considering coming to UW. So let's start with Bowers. He's from California, yet he is down to a final two of UW and Georgia. There's some glimmers of hope that he he's, he may have been holding out, out for UW. He, he was hot on Georgia for a long time, but maybe is now considering UW more. The more time goes by, the more he's considering UW. Bowers is an athletic freak. He's a mismatch uh, creator as a tight end. Uh, what what do you think he could bring to the table if he ultimately does choose UW? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, this has been said before. I'm not being, like, creative on my own saying this, but he's he kind of is, like, Hunter Bryant style as far as just a dude who's big and fast, and you just watch him and you're like, what the f-? <laughs> Like... <laughs> Like he's he's he, I, I I so I I held off on watching his film for a really long time just because I I kind of do this with a lot of recruits where I'm like I don't want to get my hopes up until I know we're like definitely in it because then it's just you know that's not good for anyone's mental state so um but I watched it for the first time like a week or two weeks ago and he's I I think it's so rare to see somebody who is both as fast as he is and has the tendencies of a complete brute because there's some there's some clips of him just running through guys where you're like oh my god you've just committed murder like like multiple people on one on one run um he's also you know he's really versatile play out um play h back um kind of just be a more uh classical classical uh running back uh, as well at times um i think he's i think right now he's listed at 6'3 225 so obviously he would gain weight uh, you know, at least a little bit and probably be a, a little bit, uh, you know, lose some of that speed right now. I think he's listed as running a four, five, five, forty, which for somebody at that size is nuts. Um, uh, and, and there have been some discussions in our, in our writers, uh, Slack channel, um, where for example, coach B, uh, as you guys know him, um, has, has personally downplayed his, um, the the hype on Bowers simply because of that. Um, although, you know, he still agrees that he's a very valuable recruit and that we want him. Um, but, but just seeing somebody who's that big and kind of like a, just a absolute truck of a human being and yet also can outrun people and outmaneuver people, seeing someone that big do spin moves, uh, like good spin moves is fun. 
I think, you know, anytime you have an athlete that dynamic and that versatile, I I mean, that's always a good thing. Uh, That might be a stupid thing to say, but it's true. Yeah, one of those players, when he has the ball in his hands, if you see him on tape getting tackled, you're always kind of thinking, like, what happened there? Why why didn't you just go in the end zone? Just keep going. Nobody should tackle you. Uh, uh, Well, you were right. Coach B wrote a a good write-up on Bowers and also on Jack Gary, who I I mentioned a moment ago. I guess the smart money, if you're reading the TVs right now, would be – that Yeri seems a little more likely than Bowers, maybe significantly more likely to actually be a Husky in a year. Um, Yeri initially committed to USC. There, there have been not very clear uh, whispers about why that ultimately didn't work out, uh, kind of implications that it w- was, but it wasn't academic or it was behavioral or something. We don't know what it was. It's not really fair to speculate because he hasn't given any kind of uh, indication and neither has the school. But let's, what we don't have to purely speculate about is him as Gary as a player. So how does he look to you uh, different from Bowers? And, and if you had to choose between them, what do you, where would you ultimately wind up? Yeah, uh, Yeri's – so, I mean, Yeri's much more traditional of a tight end. Uh, he's 6'6 six, six or 6'6 six, six and a half, 250 pounds. But you look at him – like, I didn't, I didn't think he was 250 pounds at first. And if you look at him, you'd be like, I don't know, 205. Like, he's – He's 250, but maybe the the leanest 250 um, I've seen, uh, and it makes sense why you looking at him with that frame um, and being that heavy, but still being that lean. It makes sense that some people were thinking he would grow into a, a tackle prospect. Um, he's definitely, I mean, he's not as fast, uh, obviously, um, but he's kind of he reminds me of kind of one of those guys that. Um, Stanford seemingly just craps out every year and like six foot, a hundred inch tight end that they just, you know, just chuck it to. And I guess JJ Arcega Whiteside was a, was a true receiver, not a tight end, but you have him and like Caden Smith and Kobe Parkinson and, uh, Hooper. Zach Ertz. Yeah, and Zach Ertz. Like, just like, he kind of reminds me of those guys. Um, I could see him, you know, kind of being a, a Will Disledger sample, Kate Otten style. Um, I think a little bit more, I think he has the potential to be the most athletic of all of those four. Um, but yeah, he's just a huge dude to, to get the ball to. And I think that's fun. Um, and I think for that reason, for that reason, because we've seen what guys with that skill set and that size can do, and because there's always that maybe uh, not fear, but just in the back of your mind, thinking about Bowers, okay, 6'3", if he, if he gains 15 or 20 more pounds, you know, how will that affect his speed? Even though, you know, everyone has to do that when they get to college at a certain size. Um, because I think I think Bowers is a much more exciting athlete, but I think Yeri is a bit more of a sure thing. And I think I think that's also true as far as recruiting, like, Yeri's all but said, I mean, two, twice, he's pretty much said he's coming to Washington. It's just a matter of the fact that Washington hasn't confirmed it back. Um, he had that Instagram story right after it broke that he was decommitting from USC, or not decommitting, being released, um, of him in a Washington uniform with the future. And then uh, yesterday, or this will be two days ago, once this is published, he, he was, like, getting in this drawing 
he was jawing with this USC reporter who, uh, who was talking about his dad, uh, and pretty much, and he said to him, I think it was like, it's okay, I'll leave, uh, Washington will treat me right, their reporter is better, is a hundred times better anyway. <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, obviously until Washington confirms anything, it's not certain, but I mean, unless he's doing the greatest troll job uh, of all time, uh, you know, it's clear he intends to be here. So. Yeah, and, and he's right about the the media covering the Huskies much much better. Yeah. I, but I, I think yeah, I love. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Mike Brown, Kirschman, and Christian Cable. If you're listening to this, we love you. Oh, I was thinking more of us. Um, yes. Yeah, so us? No, we're not media. Uh, we're just people. <laughs> yeah, just noise. Uh, just it is like A plus versus A plus plus. They're both great, and it would be awesome to have either one. I do think kind yeah. of what you were getting at in terms of we've seen how we don't know exactly what the offense is going to look like going forward, but we've seen over the last several years that tight ends in Washington's offense have had more blocking responsibilities than tight ends in many offenses. So it's the case that that might skew a little more in Yeri's favor as a player. Uh, just his playing style, but I think, you know, I'd be over the moon for either one of them. Finally, let's wrap up talking a little bit about the new schedule. Um, it looks a lot like the old schedule. It doesn't have non-conference games in it. Uh, it does have uh, USC and Arizona in it. I think we uh, – did we add USC or UCLA? We added one of the LA schools to our added previous – Added UCLA. Uh, but we already yeah, had USC. Already had that's good. The only one we need, the only one we don't play is ASU. Arizona State, but I don't which is good. There, there's somehow we've avoided a trip to the desert, even with the added conference game. And since that's always a, a bugaboo, we don't have to go there, which is positive. Um, we open up versus Stanford, home game against Stanford. Uh, Stanford obviously caused some problems last year, but they were a little bit down uh, over the course of the season. You think how do, how does this look as a season opener to you? I, I mean, obviously, it is to be determined with how these teams are going to look. But breaking in a new quarterback, uh, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, a lot of new offensive linemen, etc. Um, is this a good t- place to be doing that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a super great read on Stanford. And for what it's worth, I don't think I would say that they're breaking a new quarterback. I mean, Davis Mills pretty no, clearly had a new quarterback. We're Oh, okay. I misheard that and was like, wow, you have know a lot more about Stanford than I have thought about them recently. And I didn't think <laughs> they have a new OC. So I was like, yeah, oh, I'm breaking in a new coach either. Yeah. I was like, I was really confused. I, I heard that and I thought, well, maybe he, he meant to say something else. Whatever. Okay. Uh, okay. So where your question, your question is, what is how does Stanford how compare to last year? And how, is this, do you view this as, yeah. like, a, a good team to open up against? Good circumstances? Bad? Somewhere in the middle? Uh, yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think it's, it's, it, there's a, it's not, obviously it's not a total freebie or anything, but, um, you know, there's not much, there's a lot much. There's much worse teams uh, or much better teams that would be a much worse scenario to, to start the season off. You know, I, I think one thing that does make me a little bit more optimistic is um, just knowing that the, the defense is so much more, I mean, they were learning all of last year, you know, and like kind of getting their shit together. And so that was all of last year was a learning year for them. Um, and 
when, you know, the, the, that, I mean, that was such a, uh, garbage showing, but I mean, particularly on offense, but, but the defense, you know, nobody played well that game. Um, and yeah, it was, it was the offense's fault. I would argue that we lost, but the defense was still, I mean, the secondary was still figuring out who was where and who worked best doing what in what situations and blah, blah, blah. You know, they were still figuring, getting that room figured out. The inside linebackers obviously were ass. Um, the only group that really was good to go was the defensive line and, and, and OLBs. And even they were quite young other than Levi and Benning. Uh, uh, you know, so I think defensively, I think they're going to be in a scenario where uh, they're in a much Washington's defense, I should say, is in a much better position to put the offense in a position where they can win. Um, that being said, yeah, who knows? I mean, who the, who knows what quarterback and the new offensive lineman will look like? So. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like you said, I think Stanford has a, a reputation as a kind of professional, well-coached team. It's largely fair, uh, but in pure talent, if you're just ranking the teams in the conference one through twelve, they'd be somewhere in the middle. Um, and and as far as first game for Jimmy Lake, it's probably an easier matchup than Michigan would have been. Certainly, without not having fans there, it might feel a little bit more like a scrimmage. Uh, so you know that probably does take some of the pressure off. And I think everybody's gonna. It's not gonna be hard to get up for the first game of the season after the the long delay. Uh, so not having that added pressure might ultimately be a virtue for uh, the mm-hmm. fans. And, you know, home away, if other sports are any guide, uh, it matters, but it matters a lot less than it did um, when there were fans in the crowd. Probably mm-hmm. we're looking at home field advantage, meaning something like a quarter of what it meant before. So, yes, it's a it's a home game. And, yes, a lot of our difficult games, week three at Cal, Halloween at Oregon, uh, mid-November at Utah, at USC later, at the, at the end of the season. A lot of the tough games are on the road, but there won't be fans in those stadiums, so it's going to look a lot different and feel a lot different than most road games would. Uh, so if home field matters, we have a very winnable slate of home games <laughs> and a very difficult slate of road games, but I you know, I don't think we have any proof that it does matter. Uh, which of those games, I think I just mentioned several of the highlights, the Cal, Oregon, Utah, USC games, all on the road. Which of those do you think, will be the most compelling, entertaining, mean the most to you when we get there. Okay, so Cal, Oregon, Utah, USC. Yeah, I think, and that's the order think, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Utah will be the easiest of those, simply because um, they, I mean, last year, it really was an effort by yeah. the seniors who all came back last year to kind of, you know, have one last go at it, and it all lined perfectly for them. Um, but they lose – so they lose so much that I think it would, you know, I never expect Utah to completely drop back or anything, but I think it's not controversial to say it'll be relative relative to their level of rebuilding year. Um, I mean, they're going to have they a quarterback. This year, huh? like we looked last, they may be this year where yeah. we were last year. I think that's a pretty comparable. I think that's a good, good, but I think they'll be look kind of like that. I mean, um, they, they're probably going to play Jake Bentley at quarterback who, you know, he, um, he was, uh, starter at, at South Carolina for three years, 
Um, so you know, they don't have, they're not breaking in a complete novice, um, but they're also replacing Zach Moss. They're replacing a, a crap load on defense. Um, they're, oh, who else? They're replacing their uh, wide receiver who no, got Britain destroyed still there. Brandon Covey's still like there. Like a he, 23rd-year senior? Yeah, because he was fifth in 2015. He was a true freshman, then took yeah, a Mormon right. mission. Then, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, wait. Is he? Yeah, he's still there. Wait. Yeah, he's still there. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about 20, now? So this will be his senior year. Um, but either way, they're replacing a crap. I think that'll be the the easiest. But, oh, God, I hate saying stuff like that because I know I'm just going to jinx this and Biden bite us in the butt but so I, I think Oregon I think Oregon is I know they're getting picked for a lot of stuff uh, and I think they could be really good this year but I also think that they're in a much more similar position to UW than a lot of people want to admit um, and so I think that will be really interesting just to see kind of how how both of those schools are with new quarterbacks that are like true new quarterbacks, not Jacob Eason or anyone, for the first time in what four years, five years for UW, four years for Oregon, and I, I think that would be really interesting. Um, I think, I think it'll be between Cal and Oregon. I think the narrative going into Cal is going to be. Um, I think that'll be really fun. I think that after last year's loss, there was so much pent up. Uh, urgency that then never got let out in that game, you know, and then having, obviously they don't have Evan Weaver anymore. He graduated, but he was such a like old school shit talking, just, just cannonball of a player um, with, you know, with that grudge coming from Washington, even though I think he was off, I, he was offered by Washington. I'm 90% sure, but so obviously they don't have that, but I think there's still that kind of, not bad blood, but just that kind of intensity built up from the last two years that I think that could be a really fun game. So I know that's probably the least cool answer to pick out of Oregon, Utah, USC, and Cal. Um, but I think USC is USC. So other than the, you know, who, whatever, they're going to be what they are always are since Pete Carroll. Um, Oregon, you know, I talked about that. I think that'll probably be the, that would be my second choice or, or I guess 1A, 1B. Um, and then Utah, I think, will take a step back similar to UW last year. But I'd go with Cal. And then Oregon, obviously, is a more important game just because it's Oregon. But as far as everything with Cal the last two years, um, I think that'll be really fun to see what happens there. You think I would go with Oregon just because I have more feelings about them and just yeah. bring more to the matchup? But I, I think – Cal, I'm enjoying the the burgeoning rivalry with that program, and I it, it's kind of a, like a rivalry built out of respect because I I have a lot of respect for Justin Wilcox, and I think the way that he's turned yeah. them around has yeah. been really fun to watch, except when we've played them. So I think I, I might switch that order, but I do think those are probably the top two. And if you want to feel really old, uh, Britton Covey is a 23 year old junior because <laughs> he got a medical red shirt because oh, he, he only played four games yeah. last year. I, I yeah, yeah, thought he played four that. games at that, but yes. Um, yeah. Be the next so he'll, yeah, he'll take two more years off and then he'll be telling stories to the <laughs> red shirt freshman about like shoeing his horses and going to the copper mill and things. 
Like, because that's what he does. That's, or that's what Kevin Thompson does in practice. He always tells them about, like, taking his carriage to games and things like that. Um, so let's wrap up, talk a little bit about uh, our recommendations for the week. Do you have any entertaining non-football things that have come across your uh, sensory perception? Yep. But uh, this time we're going to go with the perce- the sense of touch because, oh, God, that sounds weird. Uh, but I'm going to go with an activity, uh, which, God damn it, now that sounds even worse. Um, but I know I've said albums and TV shows and blah, blah, blah and whatever, but I'm going to go with pickleball because it's a game. You should, if you're listening to this, you want something sportsy to do, but, you know, you can't get in close contact with people because there's a pandemic going on. Um, I, the last few, last couple months, um, me and a few of my friends have, uh, gotten into that because we can, we can do that without breathing on each other, playing like hockey or basketball or whatever. Um, and it is genuinely really fun. (laughs) And if you get really, if you get like, get into it, uh, if you're playing singles, like you can, you can legit work up. Like, get really intense, and uh, I've had – it's been one of the few things like, keeping me sane since, I don't know, June, late May, or whatever. So if you're listening to this and thinking, hey, I feel like my body's atrophying, that sucks, then play – go find somewhere to play pickleball. It, it's the end. I think you might have given that exact same recommendation oh, last time shit. we did a podcast, but you were so into it, I didn't want to stop you, and you're so passionate about it that F um, it. <laughs> it I sounds good. I thought about and, doing it next time. I know last time I thought about doing it, but then I thought I did two other things and then forgot to do it, and so then before this podcast, I thought, hey, you should do pickleball because you didn't last time. But if I did it, if I did do it last time, then please, please, God, forgive me. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna go in a different direction too. I tried coming up with a list of things I've watched recently. I've been rewatching old stuff, so it's hard to recommend um, like TV shows that everybody saw ten years ago. But uh, I, I recently got a Cuisinart ice cream maker, and I haven't really mastered it yet. I've I've made a couple batches, and they've been good, but not great. But this I can tell already. This is gonna be uh, a passion project for the rest of the summer. Is like really perfecting. Uh, ice cream. Actually, as soon as we're done with this, I'm probably going to go have a bowl of strawberry ice cream that I made yesterday. There are only four ingredients in it. It was just cream and milk and maple syrup and strawberries. And I, I haven't quite nailed it yet, but it's it's going to get really good, and I'll keep giving updates on that because it's very exciting. I would like some when you perfect it because that sounds yeah. dank. And Maybe, I need yeah. to start. You can just post oh, pictures with with the uh, podcast. Everybody can look at the pictures of the ice cream. To create an Instagram that's just all just we do is to advertise just ice cream and pickleball. <laughs> ice cream and pickle. It's not something that people do. Are we going to do this thing where we just keep talking and then Rob fades us out? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think we should just sign off because I don't even know if Rob's listening to us anymore and that could get pretty messy. So oh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, and hopefully next time we'll have, uh, more updates on the Pac-12 Unity Movement and we may have some conclusions to the, uh, tight end recruiting saga. So thank you and we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you. And sorry if I said pickleball twice. <laughs>